Okay. The room is quite full. I'm glad. And, and this is a meeting where the sisters sit on the front row. I just, I just brought three brothers along for moral support. Um, my name's Mark, Mark Robbie. I come from Seattle, Washington. It's quite a long way. It's exactly halfway around the earth from Johannesburg to Seattle. And I brought this rain from Seattle <laughs> because it was too hot here for me, so I needed some rain. Well, the brothers told me that you listened to um, a message that I gave in New Zealand, which is part of a series. I actually have given quite a few messages to the sisters in New Zealand, and next month I will give eight more in New Zealand, which will be different than all the ones I've done in the past. Uh, last time, you listened to message five in this series. That's why this outline, I think at the top, does it say message four? Yeah, it's, and it's the first half of the one you listened to. So these two go together. That's why we chose it. Okay, let me begin in this way. Um, I, I really like what Yevon said to you in the introduction to this meeting. In the past, we brothers neglected to have a particular care for the sisters. <clears throat> I think it's due to a wrong concept. I expose myself. Uh, me too. I, in fact, many times I was asked to speak to the sisters. I said no. Because, believe it or not, it's a little intimidating <laughs> for a brother to be in a crowd of sisters. But I'm older and I'm older and wiser now. I've been married for 40 years. I have two adult daughters. Now I know. There's a need, a particular need, for the sisters. Now, my concept in the past, I probably even would have quoted you this verse in the past. I would have said, in Christ, there's no male or female. Is there such a verse in the Bible? Yes, there is. But listen to this. That verse is talking about life, not function. In life, yes, God only has sons. He doesn't have daughters. Every one of us is a son of God, female or male. That means in life, we're not different at all, not even a little. But in function, we are different. Isn't that true? And I have heard that verse, which I just quoted to you, I've heard it misapplied. Because people misunderstand this question, or sorry, this distinction of life and function. So one place that I went, we were singing in the meeting. And you know, sometimes when we sing in the meeting, we'll, we'll ask, brothers, sing stanza one. Sisters, sing stanza two. And this sister stood up with the brothers to sing. And then she said, in Christ, there's no male or female. Well, there is a difference in function. And the picture of that is the human life. Look at us. In life, we're all human beings, aren't we? No different. But the function of a male human being and the function of a female human being are very different. So it is in the divine life. So now, 
you know, we brothers are a little slow to catch on. I, I think you already know that. Uh, now we understand that we really do have a need for training and perfecting in our function for all the saints. You know, Ephesians 4, 11 talks about, or 12 talks about the perfecting of the saints unto the work of the ministry. Well, those saints who get perfected are both male and female. But the kind of perfecting that is needed, it's a little different. In certain respects, it's the same, right? For example, all of us get perfected to prophesy, male or female. But prophesying, even that, if you understand me correctly, there's kind of a male way to prophesy and a female way to prophesy. And what's the difference? The female prophesies with her head covered. That doesn't necessarily mean that you wear a physical head covering. It means that a sister, when she prophesies, it's under a covering. And a brother prophesies without that. That's not my opinion. That's Paul. If you don't like it, blame him. Um, Okay, now, can we read this long title together? This is a very long title. The Human Life... Not, not, a, not a spiritual title. It emphasizes the word human. Human. And we're talking about our human life, our family life. And what we see is that we need to build up a family for the church. I was speaking with a sister, the other day, I'm looking for, I don't see her yet. She'll, maybe she's not here yet. She told me she would be a little late. She said she was a single sister. She said, why, why do I need to get married? I said, well. And she's about the age of my kids. I have a, I have a 32-year-old daughter and a 29-year-old, she's in that age range. And I told her, even if you don't feel a human need to be married, marriage isn't for that. Marriage is for God's economy. This is the divine view. The worldly view of marriage is marriage is for me, for my happiness. Well, all of you who are married, you already figured out it's not for your happiness. (laughs) Just ask my wife, she'll tell you. No, marriage is ordained by God. Who invented marriage? God. Marriage is not a human institution, it's not. God ordained marriage at the very beginning of the human race. Adam didn't make it up. He didn't say, hey God, I'm a little lonely here in the garden. No. God realized this man is incomplete without a counterpart. And so he ordained marriage. And that's why we don't divorce. Because Marriage has three parties, not two. There's you, there's your husband, and there's God. All three are a party to this covenant. Marriage is a covenant. Even the worldly people know that, so they, they, they do a vow, but then they always break it. But at least they go through the motion of making a vow. Listen, that vow is not only to your husband. 
It's to God. If it was only to your husband, go ahead and break it. Who cares? But God is part of this. This is the divine view concerning marriage. I often use this illustration. Let me use it now. Many of us have read the ministry on the experience of life that talks about consecration. Have you read that? And what it says there is that consecration has a basis and a motive. And they're different. The basis, sorry, the motive for consecration is love. The Lord touches our heart. We begin to love him. And then, because of our love, we are motivated to consecrate ourselves to him. Am I right? But listen, love is not the basis of consecration because love fluctuates. The basis, like the foundation of this building, you can't have any fluctuation. And we all know, in the matter of love, there's ups, there's downs, there's a lot of fluctuation. So the basis of consecration is God's purchase of us through the precious blood of Jesus Christ that never changes. We belong to him, and we don't need to feel something to belong to him, do we? I've been married, like I say, this is our 40th year. I don't wake up in the morning today and say, Oh, am I feeling love for my wife. I do love her. I, I love her more now than I did before. But I tell you, I don't need a feeling Sometimes the feeling's there, sometimes it's not. Same as our Christian life. Sometimes you're filled with love, sometimes there's no love at all. It's okay. We don't need that feeling. So, let's come back to marriage. The motive for marriage is love. You got married because you, at least you thought you loved that guy. But he kind of tricked you, he deceived you. Men do that. But listen, that was your motive. But the basis of marriage is not love. It's a covenant. This is what the worldly people have wrong. They all think that love is the basis. So then they say, I'm not in love anymore. So I divorce. If love was the basis, we'd all be divorced. Thank the Lord, the basis is God and a covenant with him. Now, this outline emphasizes very much the human life and marriage and family life. And... um, It begins by saying that God desires that in our human life, Christ would be expressed. When I was a young brother, and, 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 and like, like the young sister who I just mentioned to you, I had a very spiritual concept. I thought, oh, you know, I'm just going to just love the Lord, serve him. Who needs... Who needs a wife? Who needs kids? That's a very shallow and superficial view. It's, and it's a kind of a false spiritual view. No, God created us in such a way that almost every single one of us needs a marriage life and a family life. You know, in my whole life, I have never known even one person who had that gift that Paul had, the gift not to marry. I haven't known one. And I've been, you know, I've visited the churches in 70 different countries. I've never met a person who had that gift. 
That gift is exceptionally rare. Paul had it. And if you look at church history, you will not find very many cases. Very, 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 very few. You might say, well, what about John Nelson Darby? That's true, John Nelson Darby never married. But maybe you don't know this part of his story. He wanted to get married. He fell in love. He wanted to marry. But due to the legalism of the brethren, some of the brothers that he was with told him not to. But he actually did not have the gift not to marry. So this means, dear sisters, that this life that we find ourselves in, which is often difficult, this is what God ordained. He, he created us this way. He, did, he could have made us differently. You know, there's a creature called an amoeba that reproduces itself. Sometimes I tell God, you know, it would have just been a whole lot simpler if you could have just made me an amoeba. Because this way that you ordained is very complicated and hard. It's so hard. But God didn't make us amoebas. He made us humans. And he designed this human life and this family life with something in mind. He designed it with his economy in mind. And what is his economy? His economy is to get into human beings and fill them, saturate them, save them organically until in their human life what is expressed is not their natural human person, but Christ. We all are different according to the flesh. We come from different countries, different nationalities, different education, different family background. That makes every one of us very different in in our natural life. That's why we can't be one in our natural life. But the one new man is Christ. It's the Christ that fills up each of our vessels. That enables us to be one with all kinds of people who may be very, very different than we are. And what's the setting for this? Usually we would say the setting for this is the church life. That's part of it. But it's much more accurate to say it this way. The way God is going to do this in you and me is in a marriage life and a family life in the church life. That's the environment that's the perfect environment for you and I to be conformed to Christ. You you know this. The majority of our experience of Christ, I mean, I'm going to distinguish for a minute here between the experience of Christ and the enjoyment of Christ. Usually when we are speaking about the enjoyment of Christ, we talk about glorious church life. It's enjoyment. But the experience of Christ is more in the family life and in the marriage life. And we don't wake up in the morning and say, glorious marriage life. (laughs) Glorious family life. No. We say, whew. (laughs) You know, one time I visited a place and I, I talked to a couple And I had just met their two grown sons. And I said to them, I said, oh, I said, I, your sons are so nice. They're so polite. 
they, they're so respectful. I said, you, you did a very good job raising them. And, and, the, and the wife looked at me, she says, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and we, we began to talk a little bit, and you know, she told me a little bit of both of these boys had been, both of these boys had been in jail. at one point in their life. But now they're, now they're excellent brothers. And they really are. So I asked her, I said, how'd you do it? She said, well, brother, have you ever laid in your bed all night staring at the ceiling? She said, that's how. I said, whoa, that doesn't sound too good. Well, then I had kids. Spent a whole lot of nights staring. I'm, I'm very, very familiar with my ceiling. <laughs> Real familiar. It's difficult, isn't it? And um, <clears throat> I'm at the other end of it now. Now my two lovely daughters, they're adults. By the Lord's mercy and grace, they, they both went through the full-time training by the way, both of them made it very clear to me that they were not going to the full-time training. <laughs> but I've learned some things. You know what I did? I didn't react at all. I just said, oh, okay. I said, yeah, training's not for everybody. Then I told my wife, we got to pray. <laughs> Eventually, they both went. Oh, and by the way, since we're on that subject, they both told me when it came time to go, I'm just going for one term. I said, yeah, that's good. One term's better than none. But then we prayed. They both finished. We, we know some things they don't know. So this human life that God ordained for us sometimes feels like a prison, doesn't it? And I know, especially the young mothers, they really feel like they're in prison. It's like, I, here I was in the church life, loving the Lord, participating in everything. And now, I spend my days washing dishes, doing laundry, changing diapers, feels like slavery. But I shared with the trainees this week, and I'll share it with you, that those children who you are raising are not just your children. You know who they are? They're the increase of the church. They're gospel contacts those little unbelievers that you gave birth to, (laughs) those little fallen human beings, as soon as as they learn how to speak, they already know how to lie. Did you take the cookie? No! (laughs) How did they learn that? Did we teach them how to lie? No, they, they were born with the ability to lie, Amo. But listen. Okay, let me use the analogy I used with the trainees. How many of us, and don't answer this, this is a rhetorical question. How many of us can say, I myself, me, personally, I have brought five people into the Lord's recovery. Oh, let's start over. I preach the gospel to five people. They got regenerated. They got baptized. And I brought them into the Lord's recovery, and they remained. (laughs) Not so easy, is it? Because that's not such an easy thing. But listen, 
if you had five kids. That's exactly what you did. You preached the gospel to them. You shepherded them. You helped them grow in life. You brought them into the church life. That's your fruit. So if you are a young mother at home, you know what you're doing? You're doing the exact same thing that the full-timers are doing. You're taking care of some unbelievers. They're just little tiny unbelievers. And then you make them believers. And then you perfect them. You teach them. You nourish them. This is the God-ordained way. You beget them. You nourish them. You teach them. You perfect them. And they grow up. And they become a functioning member of the body of Christ. They're in the prophesying meeting. Prophesying. Woo. What did you just accomplish? You accomplished a very great thing. So when you're changing those diapers, you need to understand this little boy might just be an elder of the church in Pretoria. He probably will be. Just give him time. Do you see my point? Don't feel that our human life, our family life, is something different than the church life. No, no, they're the same thing. They're the same thing. This is why we say the church life must be the majority of it. 80% of it must be in our home. When we say that, we're not talking about meetings. <laughs> the church meetings are not in our home. Our living is in our home. 80% of the church life needs to occur in your home. That means, to say it simply, your proper marriage life and your family life actually are the church life. Don't think of them as two things. They're not two things. While I am on that subject, let me recommend a portion of the ministry to you. It's in volume, it's in the Collected Works of Watchman Nee, volume 38. Right at the end of that book, there are two messages given by Watchman Nee that were both given at somebody's wedding. And I wish Watchman Nee would have spoke at my wedding. They were, they were two wedding meetings. And the title of those two messages, one is called The Normal Marriage Life. And the second one is called A Perfect Family Life. It's pretty intimidating, huh? I wish he hadn't used that word perfect. It kind of scares me. But anyway, they're very good messages. I encourage you to read them. And um, again, you know, Brother Nee's, here's what will impress you if you read it. All of Brother Nee's fellowship to these newly married couples, it was all very, very human. He didn't give them a spiritual message. He gave them human advice. Because we all know when you're in this I call the marriage life and the family life the laboratory for the church life. You have to work out everything in the laboratory first. And if you can't work it out in the laboratory, you can't work it out in the church life. Do you understand what I mean? Let me, let me be more specific. That man that you're married to is a member of the body of Christ. He's not only your husband, he's your brother. If you can't be one with him, you can't be one with anyone. Don't kid yourself. Don't say, I'm one with all the saints except him. No, 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 no. 
That does not work. You won't fool God. No, that's a member of the body of Christ. I have to be built up with my dear wife, not only as her husband, but she's a member of the body of Christ. I am a member of the body of Christ. We can't have just a natural relationship. We can't. Just like none of us should have a purely natural relationship with any of the saints. But I can't have a natural relationship with my wife. No. I I need a marriage life that is not natural, that's in resurrection. I need a family life that is not natural. I am not just the father (laughs) to my two children. No. Those are my sisters in Christ. And they're adults now. I have to have a relationship in resurrection with those two sisters who just happened to be my children. You know, one time my wife and I were praying for our kids. Don't worry, I promise I'll cover the outline. (laughs) I'm kind of covering it, believe it or not. One time my wife and I were praying for our kids, which, man, I tell you, Nothing in the whole world will make you pray like kids. Nothing. That's how I learned how to pray. I had kids. That will, that will drive you to pray. And you know, when they were young, we used to, I used to always pray, Lord, pray for my daughter. But one day, my wife and I were praying, and it just came out spontaneously. We said, Lord, we pray for our sister. We didn't say, Lord, we pray for our daughter. And I said, oh, after we prayed, I said, we're entering into resurrection. We're not living totally in our natural life. Because that young sister who is my daughter is also my sister in Christ. This is why we do not divorce. You know, in the Gospels, you have a, a parable that we quote often. It's the Lord was speaking to the disciples. He said, you need to be reconciled with your opponent while you are on the way. Otherwise, you're going to end up in the prison. And they won't let you out until you pay the last farthing. And, and we all know the interpretation. It means in this age, we need to not have unresolved offenses with the other members of the body of Christ. And if we do have unresolved offenses with the other members of the body of Christ, then we're going to spend some time in the prison in the next age. We will spend some time under discipline in the next age. Until what? Until it's resolved. So sometimes young couples have come to me and they're talking about divorce. I don't, I don't give them the standard answer. You know what I tell them? I say, I can't stop you if you do that. But let me just tell you, you will be reconciled. It's only a question of when. You'll either be reconciled in this age or in the next age. Because that person that you want to divorce is a member of the body of Christ. Don't look at him as just, oh, that's my husband. Yeah, he is. And there's natural things that happen. There's lots of fences that happen. I'm very happy to tell you that my wife and I do not have a natural relationship anymore. We did. I'm the same as you, a human being. And when I was a younger human being, I was a really, really unwise human being. In, the, in, in, 
in my concept of marriage and my concept of the marriage life. But now we know this life, this human life, this marriage life, this family life, it's all for God's economy to work himself into you and me to make us people in resurrection, not natural old not the natural old man, but the transformed new man. That's the environment that God knew would be the perfect environment for Christ to be worked into you and me. He knew it would. That's why he ordained it. Okay, let me read a little bit. I have seen some seeking ones. Now, this is not me, so don't throw anything at me. I'm just re- I'm quoting, I'm quoting here. I've seen some seeking ones, particularly sisters, who do not seem to be human beings. They are so, quote, quote, spiritual that it seems they are strange creatures, half human and half angel. Like I say, I wouldn't have the boldness to say this, but I, you know, it's, it's in quotation marks. That means I didn't say it. It, it it's, it's right here. We all prefer to be something else. The sisters especially like to be something else. But we all need to be simply to be human. Don't be offended by that. I told you I had a wrong spiritual concept as a young brother. This is for all of us. This is for me too, but we just happen to be talking about the sisters. We should never think that if we reach God's standard, we no longer need to be human. The more spiritual we are, the more human we will be. You know, I was very, very privileged to, to be able to serve and to know our brother, Witness Lee, and... Um, to know him humanly, and I, I just, I just, I'd just like to tell you, the most human person you'll ever meet. He had eight children. He was married twice. He he was a widower with eight young children when his first wife died, and then he married a sister who never had children. Think think about. It that human life for both of them. Think about it. And Sister Lee, the second one, I knew quite well. Can you imagine? First of all, she got married to Witness Lee. Secondly, she had eight stepchildren. And she herself never had children. No wonder she was so full of Christ. Oh, I'm really not joking. I'm really not joking. And no wonder Brother Lee was so full of Christ. You know, my mother had nine children. And my father died at the age of 42. My mother was a 39-year-old widow with nine children at home. And no education. My mother grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. Well... We all know we don't want that kind of hardship, but it's through that kind of hardship that Christ is worked into us. It's through our experience of Christ in that hardship that Christ is worked into us and we become no longer a natural person. Then we can easily be built up with others. You know, sisters, the sisters need to be blended together. And, of course, we all need to be blended together in the one new man. But now, if you want to get something ready to throw at me, this would be a good time to do it. Pick up a rock or something, or egg or a tomato. Um, I have observed something. I've been in the church life for 45 years. It's easier for the brothers to blend with the brothers than it is for sisters to blend with sisters. Forgive me, 
but it's true. And it's true everywhere. I told you, I've been, I've been to 70 countries visiting the saints. Don't ask me why. I don't know. But I know it's true. And sisters, here's the way we can do it. We've got to experience Christ so that we become a blendable person. And a blendable person is a person not living in their natural life. If we live in our natural life, there's just no way we can be blunt with other people because we're different in our natural life. And somehow, I don't know why, put 12 brothers together in a room and tell them to pray and get blended, they can do it. Put 12 sisters in a room, tell them to pray and be blended, you know what happens. I don't even need to tell you what happens. When the Lord Jesus was on earth, he was very human. If we would live Christ, we must learn to be human in a genuine way. It's always amazed me that after Christ was resurrected, Mary, who knew him well, still mistook him for a gardener, This is the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. Did he look like, was he shining? No. He looked like a gardener. What does that mean? It means that even when you are fully out of your natural life, and you are really living in resurrection, you look real ordinary. That's the way Brother Lee was. I just tell you, I knew him. That's, that's how he was. He wasn't an angel. He wasn't some strange spiritual creature. No, he's just a, just a normal, normal man, full of Christ. That's what we want to be. We are to live a genuinely human life by the divine life and nature. That's how, that was the secret of the Lord's God-man living He had a natural human life that came from Mary. His his divinity came from God, from the Holy Spirit. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. But don't make this mistake. His humanity came from Mary. And Mary is absolutely common human being not a special human being. Which means the humanity of Jesus was natural humanity. It didn't have sin, but it was common. Think of it like this. It was like the humanity of Adam before Adam fell. Before Adam fell, he had a natural humanity with no sin. But listen, no sin and no God. There was no God in that humanity. Was there? No, that's why Adam needs to eat the tree of life. Because that natural humanity does not have God in it. So, I'm going to say something that might surprise you now. But just based on what I just said. The Lord Jesus, as a man, Of course he doesn't need redemption, because he never sinned. And the Lord Jesus, as a man, does not need to experience regeneration because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. You could say that he was born regenerated. But listen, the Lord Jesus, as a man, does need to experience transformation and glorification, doesn't he? Because that natural humanity needs to get filled with the divine life. So, you know, we often use this diagram for us, these these three circles. Hey, let me tell you, you know where the three circles came from? A sister, Mary McDonough. Living Stream publishes her book. It's called God's Plan of Redemption. 
she invented this diagram. And you know what she invented it for? To teach children. And both Brother Nee and Brother Lee credit her with this diagram. Okay, so here's a man. This man here, this one, this is Jesus. When he was born, he already had the divine spirit in his human spirit. But that's the only place it was. It wasn't in his soul. And it wasn't in his body. So, what does that look like to you? That's a regenerated person. But then, the divine life must spread into the soul. And when the divine life goes from our spirit to our soul, we call that transformation. And then, the divine life needs to reach our mortal body, and when the divine life reaches our mortal body, we call that glorification. That man, Jesus, he had to experience all of that. He was tempted in every respect like us, yet without sin. That's how he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses as our great high priest. And Hebrews 5 says he learned He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. He had to live a life of always denying himself. Constantly. Let me prove it to you from Matthew 26. He is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays a prayer that's very, very much like a prayer that you or I might pray. He says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. Then, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's a, that's a man. That's a man who at that moment, his human will does not match the divine will. So he must consciously reject his own will and consciously receive the Father's will. That's our daily life, isn't it? Don't think it was different for him. It wasn't. He had to deny the natural life. Just like you and I, we need to get out of the natural life so that we can be built up and blended with others. How are we going to do it? The same way he did it. Deny the self. You say, well, it's hard. I know, it's hard for me too. But listen, you have an advantage that he didn't have. Because this person who always denied himself lives in you. If I'm Jesus, I'm jealous of you. I say, ah, this is not fair. You have an unfair advantage. Then we would say, no, but you didn't have sin. (laughs) and he'd say yeah but I didn't have me living in there either like you do anyway you get my point we need to here it says I repeat in this way we shall be able to live the highest human life a life like that of the Lord Jesus this is not what would Jesus do no 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 This is a life of denying the self by this wonderful God-man who lives in us. Many of those in Hinduism, Buddhism, and Catholicism have a low estimate of human life. I grew up in the Catholic Church. I'm very familiar with that twisted, perverted theology that denies people getting married. A so-called priest, a so-called nun. That's, that's not only inhuman, it's demonic. It's both inhuman and demonic. Terrible, terrible. 
They do not care for marriage or for the proper family life. They prefer to remain unmarried and they aspire to live a type of angelic life. But listen, God created the angelic life. He also created the human life. The angelic life does not express God, but the human life does. The human life does. That's why when God, the triune God, comes in incarnation, what does he look like? Ordinary human being. One time my youngest daughter, when she was a very young child, I was putting her to bed at night, and uh, she asked me this question. She said, Dad, when we see God, what's he going to look like? You know, kids ask great questions, actually. I thought about it. I said, well, he's gonna, when you see him, he's going to look like you. She said, he's going to look like me? I said, yeah. I said, actually, right now, you look like him. It's the right answer, isn't it? God, you, you, this is what God looks like. Not me, but this kind of form of a human being. That's what God looks like. That's why you look that way. Because God made you in his image and likeness. That image and likeness that you have, it's not yours. It's God. When you look in the mirror, you're looking at God. Really? At least you're looking at the appearance of God. That's why every human being is so beautiful. Because every human being looks like God. Christ needs to be expressed in those who are husbands. Oh, sorry, let me finish that other point. Many monks and priests, so-called, in Catholicism, have a living that is abnormal. The requirement that priests and nuns not be married not only is contrary to humanity, but it's a doctrine of demons. That's the verse reference, 1 Timothy 4. It's a teaching of the demons. Christ needs to be expressed in those who are husbands, wives, parents, children, masters, and slaves. You know, Paul in Colossians 3 talks about all of these human statuses. In order to express Christ, we need to have a proper and normal human life. If we live in union with Christ, Christ will be expressed through our humanity. Christ is to be expressed in the human life not in the angelic life. Angels cannot express God. Now, I think all of us can relate to the next point. It's number two under C. Can we read that together? Let's read point two together. true, isn't it? I mean, right now, in this room, in this meeting, none of us is having a problem expressing Christ. But something goes wrong when we walk out those doors. (laughs) And something goes very wrong when we enter through the door of our home. It's like, now I'm going to live in my natural life. None of the saints are around. Yebin won't see me. I can just be in my flesh. I can be in myself. I can do whatever I want to do. And then I walk out of the door of my house. Oh, put my tie on. Get my Bible. Come to the meeting. Express Christ. 
Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. We need you. That's why I say that's the laboratory. We need to work out everything there. We need to work out the oneness in our home. We need to work out the living of Christ in our home. We need to work out everything in our home. Then we can also have it in the church life in a genuine way. No brother or sister in the Lord's recovery should aspire to live like a monk or a nun. At the right time, the brothers and sisters should marry and then learn through the experiences of married life to express Christ in their human living. It takes time, doesn't it? We have our dear sister Amo here. I've been picking on her all week because she's a young married sister. You're Amo's mother? Oh, how nice to meet you. <laughs> I, I have been picking on her, but in a nice way. It's a pleasure to meet you. It really is. I, you, you have a wonderful daughter. And I've been telling her, don't be discouraged. It takes time to work out this thing called the marriage life in resurrection. It just doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't. How long does it take? I have no idea. I'm still working it out. I'm, but I'm ahead of where I was. The living of the saints in union with Christ should result in the expression of Christ in human life. That should be the result. If we see this, we shall praise the Lord for our human living. Let's all say, praise the Lord for my human living. Praise the Lord for my my marriage life. Praise the Lord for my children. See, we hardly ever do that. That's why I wanted to do it right now. Because usually it's more like, oh, my marriage life, my family life, my kids, my kids, my kids. Let's learn to say, praise the Lord for this divine arrangement. We need to learn to do that because it is a divine arrangement. Okay. Now, the next point, D is on prayer. I'm, I'm going to actually summarize that point rather than read everything in it because... It's really not the main point of this message. What it is, it's an application of how we can live and express Christ in our human life, our marriage life, and our family life. How do you do it? Well, unceasingly pray. That's the answer. That's the answer. And here I need to tell you, If it were impossible to pray unceasingly, there would be no such commandment. See, you and I, we look at ourselves, we say, I can't pray unceasingly. Sure you can. God designed the human spirit with a capacity to pray unceasingly. He did. The reason we don't do it is, We live in our natural life. We don't live in resurrection. The actual, let me tell you, every regenerated person, including every single person in this room, the actual capacity of your spirit for prayer is unlimited. It's unlimited. You just haven't tapped into it yet. So, in Matthew 26 and Gethsemane, when the Lord asked the brothers to pray, they fell asleep. 
And what did he say to them? The first thing he said to them is, were you not able to watch with me for one hour? Listen, that means that the Lord had just prayed for an hour. And he fully expected that Peter, James, and John could pray for an hour. How often do we pray for one hour? Me too. Not very often, do we? But we, but we can. In fact, we can pray unceasingly. Once you begin to do it, you find out this is unlimited. It's unlimited. Part of the problem is we have the wrong concept of what is prayer. We have a formal concept of prayer. This kind of prayer, the prayer that can be unceasing, is not formal prayer. It's, it's like Romans 8. In Romans 8, you know, there's a prayer there that's a groaning. That's all it is. There aren't even words in that prayer. And it's certainly not formal. Sometimes you just say, Oh, Lord. That's prayer. Because we can't have a formal prayer that is unceasing. But this kind of prayer is like breathing. We breathe all day long. Unconsciously. And we breathe in our sleep. We're certainly not conscious of our breathing when we're sleeping. I told the trainees this. I'll I'll tell you too. Uh, this is, this is not the normal situation, but my wife told me I was talking in my sleep and I was talking about the Bible. I was like, oh, wow! I, I, I was sleeping in resurrection! Because <laughs> I know most of the time I do not sleep in resurrection because when I wake up, I'm not in resurrection. I don't know about you. So let's practice this breathing prayer while you're at home with the children. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. That will enable you not to live just a natural human life. Now, the last point, a good church life is maintained through good families. Here, I would like to emphasize a point. The building up of the church as the body of Christ, the unit, or let's say the building block of the church, is not the individual. It's the family. It's a household. Again, I say, this is God's... He, he made it this way. It's the families, isn't it? It's the households that constitute the church. I'm not saying that if you're single, you can't be built into the church. Of course you can. But I'm speaking in a general way. It's really the families. And those children that we're raising, they're new ones in the church life. They're new ones that we're shepherding. You know, shepherding a new one and parenting, they're exactly the same thing, aren't they? They're exactly the same thing. I always tell the full-timers who you know, are, are exercising to shepherd people, I said, this is going to help you in your family life. Because the shepherding care... Let me give you a definition of shepherding from the recovery version in Acts chapter 20. Shepherding is an all-inclusive, tender care. Isn't that parenting? It's all-inclusive, tender care. That's what parenting is. That's what shepherding is. The family life of our next generation has much to do with the church life of our next generation, doesn't it? That's why we have a book in the ministry called Raising Up, 
the next generation for the church life. That's what we're doing, all of us. That's what we're doing. And we're, we're not only doing it with our own children, we're doing it with each other's children. Because if your children are anything at all like mine, they reached an age where all of a sudden their dad didn't know anything at all. He used to be the smartest guy in the world. Now he doesn't know anything. Did your kids reach that age? But some of the other brothers, they're, they're still the smartest guy in the world, if, if you follow what I'm saying. So we have to care for each other's children as our own. We have to love each other's children as our own. And together, we will raise up the next generation for the church life. In order to have a proper family life, the mother is more important than the father. I, I 100% agree with that. I told you, my mother raised nine children from the age of 39, her being 39, without her husband. If my mother had died instead of my father, ooh, that would have been a hundred times worse. If you don't misunderstand me, we could live without our dad if we had to, but we could not live without our mom. And uh, so it is in the family life, the, the mother's much more important because the fathers, first of all, they're men, and men don't know very much. I, I don't know if you knew that. Uh, so they, they've got an instant handicap right, right at the very beginning. And when it comes to raising children, the men don't know what to do. You know, when my two children were born, the doctor handed me this little thing, this little human being. It fit right, right in my hands. I, I handed it back. I said, I don't know what to do with it. What is that thing? But my wife, instantly, she knows how to care for that. Instantly, she knows. And the kid is screaming. I go, stop, stop crying, stop. How do, what does it want? But my wife knows. She knows how to, she knows exactly what to do. So don't expect too much from yeah. <laughs> in a family, the responsibility is mainly on the side of the wife. In order to have a proper family life with a proper home life, the wife must bear the majority of the responsibility. The husband has his role, but we all know mother rules the home, not dad, not dad, at least not in, not in my home. Of course, I was outnumbered the whole time. It was three females to one male, so you know, I, never, I never had a chance. Okay, let's read this last verse, point E. Let's read it together. It's a verse from Proverbs. The wise woman Amen. One more time. The wise woman Good. Okay. Maybe a few of you would like to share something. It would be nice to hear from you.